Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome. We're here again for the Nonprofit Exchange with Hugh and Russell. Russell, you're it's another great day in the mountains of Colorado, I guess. Every day is a great day out here. It's uh, beautiful here, and it's probably beautiful down there where David's hanging out. It's always warm down there. Oh, it's warm. There's a little rain going on today, but it's warm. Oh. It's liquid sunshine, I understand. The chamber. That's down. right. <laughs> we love it. So um, David Dunworth and I have known each other for a number of years, as has Russ, um, and he, he has several areas of specialty. We're talking about um, one of his areas today of marketing, and David, it's, it's um, our custom to let our guests give a little profile of themselves, because if we do, it might make things up, you know? <laughs> so, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, and tell people a little bit about you, especially what has led you to do what you're doing that we're going to talk about today? Sure. Hi, I'm David Dunworth, and my company's name is Marketing Partners. And we partner with uh, strategic alliances that help small businesses and nonprofits uh, grow their businesses and get found. Um, what uh, I'm really excited about is a recent uh, strategic alliance that I've created with one of the largest digital marketing firms in the country. And we have uh, been helping um, dentists, doctors, and attorneys uh, 10x their business. And we do that through magnetic marketing, what we like to call the one system. So um, how I got started in, in marketing goes back a long ways. I was uh, in the in the military, and I ran officers' clubs, and so we had to do promotional stuff all the time. You know, we wrote a newsletter, we had flyers, we had all that kind of stuff to promote business, and then that, that carried through to post-military, where I stayed in the private club business, and the height of my career, I worked with the largest club in Club Corp's arsenal of 250 clubs or more, and on top of that, it was attached to a humongous banquet and conference facility that was open to the public oh. owned by Ford Motor Company. So with my uh, four plus years working with them and their marketing department, I really became proficient in um, the, the field of marketing. But, you know, back then it was traditional, what we call traditional marketing. It was pre-internet. It was pre-digital, all of that kind of stuff. But the, a lot of the concepts still hold true. It's just the technology has changed. And the bigger part is that the, consumer has changed. It's no more push the message out there. It's attract the prospects to you. And that's the biggest uh, change in marketing. But all, you know, a lot of the concepts are still the same. So that's how I got to today. Well, you know, people are still people. Relationships are still relationships. And all those things you mentioned, we, we added cell phones, we added internet, we added email, we added texting. We didn't take anything away. No, no, we didn't. And so right. the core relationship piece, even though our culture has shifted, is the same. So you describe this as magnetic marketing, did I hear? Yeah, it's uh, 
the through the laws of attraction, you know, it's it's been called many things. It's been called attraction marketing. It's been called magnetic. It's been called by uh, companies like HubSpot. They call it inbound marketing. Uh, digital marketer, they call it the customer value op optimization uh, program. ClickFunnels calls it the one funnel, but basically it's the one system. It's all the, a lot of different names for the same thing that a lot of the top tier marketing agencies and marketing platforms uh, utilize. It was just the, the name magnetic marketing was coined by Dan Kennedy back 25 years ago. You but know, the, uh, a lot of people doing well because of Dan Kennedy. Oh yeah. Yeah, very much so. He is the godfather of direct mail, um, direct response marketing. And whether it's direct mail or if it's uh, writing your blog, you know, the concepts are still the same. You have to get uh, involved with and understand deeply the laws the marketing laws of the golden triangle. And uh, I can explain that to you in a minute, if you like. Well, I'm going to toss it to Russell. He's got a couple of good questions and I bet you this golden triangle is one of them. What do you say, Russ? Well, that sounds like a new concept to me. I haven't heard anything like golden triangle, but what I, what I've come to understand and you're dealing with this every day uh, is that, the principles aren't changing. It's just that we have all these different mediums to go out and reach out to people. Right. Do you find that the number of choices is something that confuses a lot of people and makes it harder for them to get their message out? Well, yes. And the, the vast majority of small businesses and a lot of nonprofits uh, go about the, pro the process completely backwards. And so the, what the first thing with all of this confusion and all these digital options and all this stuff, there's still a formula, but the formula by small businesses usually starts with the third piece and not the first piece. Oh, should I run a Facebook campaign? Everybody's doing Facebook. Should I go on Instagram? Oh, maybe that'll work. Run Google ads. Oh yeah, let's do that. And then they can't figure out why the stuff doesn't work. Well, Getting back to the laws of the golden triangle, it doesn't start with media. It starts with knowing who your ideal audience is. We call that your market. Knowing so much about them that you even know what they eat for breakfast. Now that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but the more information you can gather about them, the more you'll be able to figure out how your solution will solve their challenges, their problems, what they're looking for, what's their desires, what's their needs. And then it's, if you look at a triangle in all equal shapes, uh, equal distances, the left side would be your market. The next piece of the triangle would be your message. What is the message that you need to convey to the people you know you can help and how can you structure it in such a way that it wants, that they want to learn more, that they want, they feel, oh, he's talking to me. You, he knows I've got that same problem. I know I can get more information from him or I know I can work with this person to solve my challenge. And then 
once you've got those two pieces, the third piece is media. You've got to know where your market gathers information. Where do they hang out? You know, uh, I'll give you an example. A personal injury lawyer may run a lot of Facebook ads, but do you think that lawyer is sitting there looking at Facebook all day trying to find stuff? He doesn't have time for that. He's looking in law journals. He's talking to uh, other lawyers in his community, the local bar, those types of things. Not the local hangout bar, but the local bar association. And so running Facebook ads for a lawyer makes no sense because he's not there or she's not there. So you have to identify where you can use the immediate is just the distribution channel to get your message to the right person. We call that the market to message match. So when you've got those three components, they're all equal in, in value, but there's a structure involved to it. Okay. So when, and that's the laws of uh, marketing laws of the golden triangle is always start with market, then go to message, finally go to media. You know, there's more than 1200 different types of media. Now people say, well, how can that be? There's social media and then there's newspaper and magazine. Well, Literally, somebody bothered to count it, and I think it's 1,248 different ways to do things. Now, obviously, we don't use all of those things. Uh, you'd be crazy to even try. But if you can use three or four or six different media all at the same time in the hopes of attracting your ideal message. And so um, that's one of the triangles that we talk about, and that's where most small businesses fall to the side. Uh, they try it once, they try it twice, they figure it doesn't work, so they'll go back to the old ways of doing whatever they do. And that's, yeah, that's the same thing with nonprofits. They do the same thing. Yeah, I've seen some some situations where people promise uh, a customer the sky, oh, we'll have hundreds of people beating your door down in 10 minutes. Uh, this, though, this is really a long-term proposition and takes some nurturing that's uh, talk, exactly talk, right. uh, talk about that and how some of these mismatched expectations can cause somebody to give up on something before it actually begins to work for them. Sure. Um, marketers today, whether you're in a nonprofit or you're working for a doctor or an attorney or a shoe store, uh, marketing today is based on attraction and it takes time. You're not going to be. Um, successful overnight. Even though all of these shiny objects that come up every day, there's a new toy or new secret weapon that's finally been revealed and it's going to cure your woes. And it just doesn't happen that way. It's half of the stuff that's out there in the market that, you know, comes up, oh, new, a new thing this week. It's probably already been proven that it doesn't work, but they're still trying to sell it. And that's what the small businessman or woman has to be cognizant of is that there is no quick fix. It takes time and consistent effort uh, and following the laws of the triangle. So yeah, that's, that's uh, one of the, the keys to understanding is that marketing is an investment and it's not like you're going to put a hundred dollars down on a horse in three minutes from now you're either going to win or going to lose. You've got to invest in the marketing and hope 
that your return on investment of that marketing is as much as you invested or more to get new leads. Now, wouldn't it be grand to get $100 for every dollar you invested in marketing? Well, it happens sometimes, um, but you can get 10 to 20 to 30 times your investment if you do what's the right thing to do. You know, people have tried email. Well, they send one or two emails and say, oh, well, that doesn't work. And they make one or two phone calls and they left voicemails and, oh, I guess that doesn't work. Tried direct mail, sent it out one time, oh, that doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because people are busy. People need um, seven, eight touches is the favorable uh, estimation that that people do, although Tony Robbins recently said in one of his events that it's up to 14 touches now before somebody will pay the least bit of attention to you. So it takes a lot of effort in a lot of different directions to make them pay attention to you, to keep them interested, and then to draw them in. So there is there are no quick fixes. Russell has a good paradigm that he shares many times when we're talking to potential board members or donors. We'll find out what they're interested in. And, and I'm amazed that we have a large presence on LinkedIn. I'm amazed how many people, quote, professionals, just hit you up right away to buy something. Oh, yeah. Like, who are you? Why should I even care about buying from you? And you let something just slide through, and I'm going to pick it up. Um, you mentioned you, you help businesses um, develop the, the streams of revenue. Uh, and do end market, but nonprofit, uh, Russell and I also encourage all these nonprofit leaders to think and to realize and to act as if they're in business. It's a business with more rules, tax exempt, but thinking business-wise. And, and it's amazing how many, uh, we start with the word nonprofit with this scarcity thinking. How many nonprofits think, oh, we can't spend money on marketing? So talk about the investment in marketing, whether it's you or anybody else. And, and you know, that, that we got to do it more than once. When people say, oh, I, I tried that and it didn't work. And I say, well, you know, I tried working out one day last year and that didn't work either. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, speaking of trying and, and not getting the results, so far, uh, you know, I'm a little overweight and I've been overweight just about my whole life, you know, and, and do you realize it or not? I have lost more than a thousand pounds, one pound this year, two pounds next year. So, uh, you know, you've got to have consistent effort in order for any transformation to occur. It's gotta be consistent effort. And I, I'm, I'm going to differ with you, Hugh, slightly on your comment that, um, I was talking about businesses and nonprofits think that, you know, because they're nonprofit, they are not, uh, investing in marketing would be a bad thing. Well, a nonprofit is a business. Yes. It, uh, any business has to sustain itself or you go out of business. And so what does a business do? It attracts customers. Uh, they become loyal customers. They stay loyal. They buy more of their frequency and, uh, improves their uh, average spend improves and that sort of thing well a nonprofit doesn't necessarily have to sell products although some of them some of them have um, kind of a 
uh, service organization where they are, they have a profit and a nonprofit. And, but by and large, let's talk about the nonprofit mentality that says, we need more donors. So let's do what we need to do to get more donors in order to meet our budget and, and go from there. It's been my experience that marketing is in three parts. Marketing is, there's a before, a during, and an after. Before, you're identifying who your prospect is and you're lead generating and you're trying to, to uh, get people to pay attention to you. And then the during is when you finally get the, the nurturing long enough to where they're ready to buy or they're ready to make a commitment. And then the after is the what we call the internal marketing aspect of it, where you keep the customer happy, you keep the customer engaged, you keep them uh, recognizing your value proposition and so forth, and that develops a loyal customer. Eventually, hopefully, they are so pleased with you that they become loyal, raving fans, and they become your advocates, and they're part of your uh, workforce out there talking to people about you because they're so successful. Well, it's the same thing with nonprofits. You've got to identify a donor, then you've got to get make the con the uh, conversion occur. But I think that's where a lot of nonprofits stop because they're so keyed on getting new donors that they have no barricade at the back door. The donor spends the, uh, their time with the organization and then decides, well, I don't even know if they appreciate me. So a lot of them, you know, go. And that's why there's always this chasing your tail concept with nonprofits is I believe that they need a lot more help on the internal marketing aspect of their business. And again, I use that word business, but that's what they are. Well, actually, that was my point. So you articulated it far better than I did. What do you think, Russ? Well, you know, marketing encompasses so many things. It's a very broad word, and I think people get confused about it uh, because there's so many aspects to it that, you know, and people don't think in terms of a marketing message. So talk a little bit about how marketing fits with a nonprofit organization uh, as opposed to or in contrast to a, a small business or a business. Well, sure. Marketing encompasses many things, as you said, and it's a broad, broad, broad brush that's, uh, there's a lot to talk about. And prospect identification, conversion, internal marketing, those are all terms that, you know, small business may understand. But in the nonprofit world, there's still that concept, there's still that process that system that has to be inlaid is that how are we going to attract our donor? What are the different strategies we're going to use to attract more donors? And it could be direct mail, it could be a mass appeal, it could be an email campaign, it could be like National Public Radio, they have four or five big uh, donor campaigns every year and that's how they sustain themselves and so forth. So those, that's all part of the marketing strategy that a nonprofit organization should do. And many of them, I'm sure, do. They find as many different ways as they can. And then the next step is crafting the right message. What are you gonna tell these donors? 
uh, how are you going to write it? Are you going to be just like the American Cancer Society or the American Heart Association or, you know, the uh, Institute of Music and Dance? Are you going to copy what they've written or something? Or are you going to get more creative? Are you going to really touch their heart with emotion? Emotion is a big thing in magnetic marketing. You've got to touch their heart in order to make things happen. And then the third part is, after you've got conversion, is keeping them. And that's no different in the nonprofit world as it is in the small business world. It's just a lot of these terms and these concepts may be foreign to them. Um, but they need it. They, they have to have it or they can't sustain themselves. Because uh, the, the support of government is constantly shrinking. The expansion of nonprofits is constantly growing. And so the pieces of the pie are getting narrower and narrower and narrower and putting more pressure on the nonprofit. And so coming up with the right ways to sustain themselves and be able to grow capacity is through generating donors and keeping donors. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of new forms of business that are socially responsible and hybrid types of organizations out here that are going out to make a difference. And we've seen some changes in the tax law that are impacting uh, that. So uh, as far as marketing goes, it really needs to be dissected so that people can look at those most uh, important points. And, and, uh, but, but there are uh, people who are dumping a lot of resources into marketing with maybe pieces of the information. So uh, is there a really a right way and a wrong way for nonprofits or businesses to market? And what are some of the, the, the most prevalent mistakes that you're seeing people make? Okay, the, well, well, yeah, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And sure, I think I've described pretty well what the right way is. Uh, the wrong way is taking that, that one-time uh, shotgun approach to the marketplace is spread as much of a uh, message to across as many fields you know, as possible, uh, what we like to call spray and pray, uh, rather than a market uh, taking a rifle approach to your target and then saying, okay, we're going to target exactly this particular thing, this person, and um, get our message across. And so that's been the case with nonprofits. They have a database of uh, information, whether it's addresses or emails or phone numbers or whatever it is that they use that may or may not have even been sanitized uh, of late. It's the same list that they've been using or they buy a list and so forth. Well, what does sanitation mean in a marketing campaign? Well, it's you've got to go through and make sure that those addresses are valid. You've got to go through and make sure that the, you're not going to be wasting a lot of time and money on, you know, postage is not cheap. Even, you know, if nonprofits are eligible for some discounts or whatever, they're not going to be cheap. And so maximizing your revenue uh, spend or by minimizing its, its, its cost is, is a pretty critical issue. But uh, I want to bring up a point that'll hopefully explain a little bit more about how nonprofits and businesses can do a little bit better job at their prospecting, their conversion, and so forth. And it's a it's a product that that we use uh, this 
partner and I call the high value client. And when you look at the prospect pyramid, here we go with another triangle shaped thing, okay? The prospect pyramid, the very, very top, very slivers like our economy, and it's the 1%. And the 1% are very rich. Money is absolutely no object to them. We know that because we hear about the one percenters all the time. The next layer of that is 4%. And these, this 4% is very affluent. They have money, but you know, they've got things that they concern themselves with. They're still actively working. They've got bills to pay, that kind of stuff, but they still have money, well, large amounts of disposable income. And pardon me, I'm sorry about that. And the next layer is 15%. Those are people who are, well, call them upper middle class. They've got some disposable income, but they've got a lot of bills to pay. They might have a nice house, but it's got a big mortgage on it. They've got credit card debt. They've got all of those things, but they still have a little bit of money that they can use for disposable. Now that's a total of 20%. The 80%. They're living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. There's no disposable income. They're just paying their bills and getting things done, uh, survive and thrive a little if they can. And Hugh, I don't know about you, but uh, things like that, you'll see sometimes where small businesses operate on the scarcity mentality, much like a lot of nonprofits do, where They've got to appeal to the broadest mass that they can. And that's always a price decision marketplace. People buy for the lowest price. Quality may not be the primary issue. It's got to be price driven. So our whole philosophy is to go for the upper 20%. Actually, the top 5% is the sweet spot because they will do, they, they make decisions fast. They know what they want, they know what they like, they know what they'll do. And so we take that list that's been sanitized and we, I, we do some data mining and we find out who those people are in your list. We take the time to understand who that top 5% of the marketplace is the ones that we should target first. And we set up specific campaigns for them, whether it be donor or a high ticket item for sale, that sort of thing, and do a sophisticated campaign focused purely on that market segment. And then once we've been successful with that, we'll then expand to the next uh, 15%. But the bottom 80% is yields the, le the least amount of productivity and obviously would be the greatest part of the expense. And so that's where I think a lot of small businesses go is down at the bottom so they can compete on price. Well, when I say compete on price, you know, and if you're, if, it's like the gas station wars, if you remember those from years back. The one gas station would lower his a nickel, the guy across the street's gonna lower his a dime. Well, the only way to win in a, in a buying and selling on price is that it's a downward spiral and the one that wins is the one that goes broke first. Absolutely the wrong concept, but that's what you see businesses doing all. There was not a logical approach to marketing. 
And that was a penny, David. It was when gas was 21 to 24 cents a gallon. And so lowering a penny was a significant difference. <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's yeah. been around a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, yeah, in, in where I grew up, it was always a, a very, very competitive marketplace in Chicago. And even back in the 70s and 80s, they would have price wars, especially after the oil embargo in uh, the mid-70s. Uh, later in that decade, it would fighting for market share. Uh, not a good way to do business. Well, and nonprofits and, need to understand that as well. And many, many people think they've got to compete at the lowest price. And I think your point is well taken. Um, those are the least effective people to have engaged with you. Now, um, I'm, think, I'm coming on as, um, as the chair of the board. They call it the president of the Lynchburg Symphony Orchestra. And um, we do sell live events. So we're selling, we're selling a product which is our concert. Um, but we, um, we, need to, uh, we need to think about marketing seriously. And what's the old saying that half of what you spend on marketing is wasted, you don't know what's half of? And, and what you're saying is it's probably larger because we don't, we don't target it well. Maybe we, haven't, um, maybe we haven't got a good message. That, that Maybe we haven't thought about what people are interested in. And so yeah. we're, we're, yeah. we're redoing our strategy and we're rethinking about what all, and it's audience says for us, a variety of programs, different sure. audiences. And what do we need to do specifically that would relate to that audience? And I found, right. out, I found out recently that one of the biggest fears of going to classical concerts is people don't know how to dress. <laughs> Never thought of that. And, and, so in the, and so the symphony is a 501c3. Churches want to attract people to come and, and join and, and attend. I think we, we really need to go back to the drawing board. And you've been with me when I've done the, the solution map, our, our version strategic plan. And we, um, we target who we want to attract and we target our strategic excellence position. Why should people be interested in us anyway? So I would, I would guess that that's, that's the prerequisite for a marketing person to be able to create an effective marketing campaign. Is that right? Well, yeah. And what you have to remember is that you're not marketing to you. <laughs> you're marketing to them, the way they think, the way they act, what they're concerned about. You know, you hear people say, well, I'd never do this. Well, great, because you're not supposed to be looking at it from your perspective. You're supposed to be looking at it through the eyes of your prospect or customer. Sure, and that, that goes as far back as uh, in, there's a man by Claude C. Hopkins. Uh, his name um, may or may not ring a bell, but he's one of the early pioneers of marketing and advertising. In fact, he was born, like I said, in 1866 and died in 32, I think. Um, back then, it was, marketing wasn't a term. It was advertising. And he wrote a book called scientific advertising. And it's very, very blunt, curt, short sentence words, very, very directive. Not an easy read, but if you get into it and you understand uh, marketing and attraction and those types of things, he was right dead on long before fellows like Dan Kennedy and Gary Halbert and uh, Make Peace and, you know, Ogilvy, all of those fellows built their 
uh, logic and philosophies off of uh, Hopkins. And so, yeah, you've got to know how your audience thinks, what they believe in, what they are attracted to. And I think you've you may have heard me talk about one time or another. I don't know if I used this uh, um, in one of the previous episodes I've been on, but um, Dan Kennedy was approached by a hearing aid company to write uh, a marketing campaign for them. And he, he, he studied them for weeks. And the hearing aid industry has been using the same approach since the hearing aid began. And it's, always been, oh, you'll be able to hear the birds chirping again. And you won't have to be embarrassed about not going out to dinner with your friends because you can't hear them. Or, you know, people get frustrated with you because you're hard of hearing. And uh, he talks about this husband and wife. The man comes down in the middle of the night and says, uh, you know, he's thinking to himself, what the heck is going on? I can't sleep. The kids are upset. They don't know what's going on with mom. And she comes down the stairs because she heard him rustling around in the refrigerator. And uh, she says, what's the matter, honey? And he says, well, the kids are, the kids are upset. Kids are, the kids are nervous. They don't know what's going on with your, with your health. They're worried. And to make a long story shorter, she wasn't concerned about whether she could hear the birds chirp or the, the subtle lines in a movie or any of those types of things. She was concerned with the fact that because it's been said that loss of hearing is a, a part of the brain that the synapses begin to not, they stop firing. And so that's a, it's an early, early, very early sign of dementia. And that was what her concern was, is that she didn't want to get locked up in a home because the kids thought that she was losing her mind. That's when he, when Kennedy realized that and validated that concept, uh, the, the revenues of the company he was working with literally quadrupled and then quadrupled again, because he finally understood, you know, he understood what the market concern was, what they were really looking for. They weren't looking for sound. They were looking for a sense of security. And marketing is that way. You've got to get past what you think the customer needs or the donor needs or whatever. You've got to get to the root cause of what the concern is or what the desire is. And that's the big difference in the way we market today and the way we've marketed in the past. I, I have this uh, gut sense that uh, Russell's going to be asking you to know, go back to this data mining thing. That was a pretty complex, but before he does, would you talk about people confuse public relations, marketing, and sales and communication? Can you kind of strip those out for us? For sure. Um, PR, public relations, is a lot more than writing press releases. PR is helping you position yourself as um, an influencer getting you in the right spot so that people notice you, becoming a familiar face in your community, those types of things. Media relations is part of PR to where they have a working relationship with the local media channels, whether it be TV, radio, print, 
And when they have something to share that they want to get out into the community, they can pick up the phone and say, hey, George, good to see you last week at the Rotary Club. Uh, I've got a new thing here. Can you help me out with it? That's, that's effective media relations and PR. And obviously, I said, you know, it's press releases, but it's a lot more than that. They have working relationships with marketers, but the marketing sus uh, section of that is more of the lot of research, a lot of understanding the client, the customer rather, and uh, what the needs, express needs are, and what solutions that they can provide better than anybody else can. And that's structuring their own uh, business to do so. And sales, sales is, is where the conversion happens from interested party to customer. Sales is, is not um, necessarily whining and dining and nurturing the client. That's actually a role of marketing. Salesman is there to, take the, to get the order, to answer the objections that the um, prospect might have and close the deal. That's the extent to what it is. Now, oftentimes, smaller organizations, all of those are rolled into one person. But in, a, in an effective organization, those are separate roles. Marketing and sales has to work hand in hand, as it does with PR, so that everybody's on the same page with regard to the message and how the message is controlled and where it's going to and what's its best point of use and that sort of thing but they are in, in fact separate entities. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that covers it pretty well, you know. And one of the words that's not often used uh, when it comes to nonprofit entities is value. And uh, with businesses, a lot of them will do a value proposition design. It's what keeps people awake at night. What are the things that really bother them? What are the jobs they have to do? What keeps them awake at night and what would make their lives a lot better? And that's a piece of talking to these multiple audiences is to find out what's valuable to them in their language. And that requires, I think, a lot of data points. And there's some information that's more important uh, than others. Right. Uh, so talk about ways that uh, nonprofits can approach uh, talking about value in a way that's easy for them to understand and use, because if it's if it's tough right. for them, they won't do it. Right. From a value standpoint, the uh, nonprofit has a mission, and in order to fulfill their mission, they need to be sustainable, and so they've got to grow their revenues to sufficient and their volunteer staff to sufficient levels in order to do that. And the value that they bring to the community is. Pick, pick a, a nonprofit. They may be saving lives through uh, blood drives. They may be feeding the hungry. And the value to them, the value proposition is such that we are your agent to help you fulfill the, desk, the, the dream that you have of a better world. And that's what we bring to the table. We have the mechanisms and the, the projects for you not only to help contribute to our efforts, but to get involved with our efforts. And see, that's, I think, is where the real value proposition comes in, is when nonprofits will align themselves with a business and say, you know, we're, we're just not looking for a check. We are uh, 
serious about our mission. We want to do, we're looking for those companies and organizations that are willing to become socially responsible because we're, we, we've got the truck behind us with plenty of room to carry a lot of people. Why don't you get on board with us and have your volunteer employees volunteer with us, you know, set up a voluntary program so that why not pay your employees four hours a month or whatever it might be to actively be involved in their community. And along with your financial support, you can shine in the community. It will bring um, the center stage uh, lighting right on top of you. You'll be in the spotlight uh, because our community relations in the media is such that we will make sure that you are, um, everybody will know that you are a, a feature sponsor or a feature donor or a feature champion of our cause. And that's what they bring in in terms of value to the, to the donor to the volunteer staff on a larger scale rather than working on one-on-one. -on -one. I think the value proposition on one-on-one -on -one is a little hard to convey, although the, the explanation that I've given is rather crude and off the top of my head, but I think the message is there and you can, de you can develop it with a little bit of thought. And, you know, when, when organizations uh, partner with businesses, for example, for sponsorships, there's certain things that they're looking for, and those are some data points. Uh, and uh, uh, data collection sounds very scary and confusing. And so are there some tools that nonprofits can use that are low cost, easy to access, understand, and use that can help them create uh, avatars or, or profiles of different types of customers? And, sure. And, uh, Sure, there are. There are. In fact, we use uh, a system of data science, uh, which is where my partner, his name is Partiv, uh, where Partiv really shines. Is he is a master of data, and what he will do uh, with our clients is, um, if now not every client is a client for us, you know, there's some there's some uh, qualifications that come into play. But let's say it's a medium-sized business or it's a medium-sized nonprofit. They've been around for a few years. They've got a pretty good-sized database. But we're going to take a look at history. We're going to go back 1,000 days, a little bit more than three, right around three years. And we're going to look at all of that stuff, and we're going to see how many people uh, have donated at such and such a level, and how many of those people did it more frequently than others? So there's, you know, you have to look at uh, the dollar amount, the frequency, and time, the length of time that they've been doing. And so we would, let's say you've got a thousand names, and you've identified the first batch, then you go in at the next level and say, okay, let's use the same framework, Let's figure out who those donors are, and we'll take a look at those, that two clusters as one, and say these are probably the best suited donors that we could possibly ever have because history has shown us that this is who they are. They donate this much money. They've been here for this long. They, they've uh, donated every month or every quarter or every year. and 
they are really the support for us. Uh, a lot of the others, sure, everyone's valuable, but the most valuable are, are the ones, you should modify your avatar, your uh, ideal client to mirror this group. Those, that's who you should be going after. Not everybody that you thought about in the past, but take a look at what the data says, because the data doesn't lie. Numbers never lie. And framework that into your new avatar and then craft your messaging uh, specifically for them. And your production or your conversion of uh, donor attraction will improve and the numbers will improve as a matter of fact as well. And there's some pretty easy ways to do that. It just takes time. But you don't have to analyze every record. You probably can get it all on a big spreadsheet. And, and eyeball it, you know, start with the rank it in terms of numbers and then rank it in terms of frequency. And, and you will have that information in a little bit of no time. Uh, but it sounds like a big project and it's data science. Ooh, let's, I'm afraid of that. Well, it's just understanding what you're looking at. That's all it is. And there's coaches and there's, there's uh, consultants out there who can help you with that. Well, that's yeah. important is to have, know how to, how to construct that because people yeah. brag about hits and, and Tom Antion oh. says the hits are how idiots track success. And, uh, <laughs> how idiots track success. I love it. That's it. Yeah, hits. Yeah, and hits don't pay the rent. I'll tell you that for sure. Well, likes, about, likes and hits. They aren't going to pay your salary. So um, talk about conversions a minute. It's, it's an elusive thing. Talk about conversion. Yeah, you find it's different than it is in a Baptist church. So what do we mean conversion and marketing? <laughs> okay. Uh, you have a prospect. You've been talking with this prospect for some time. They are becoming, you're developing a relationship with them. They now know you, you know them. And sooner or later, they're going to say, raise their hand and say, I'm ready. Let's make this transaction. Let's do this big donation that we've been talking about. And at that point, that's when you're converting them from a lead to a buyer or to a donor or whatever. That's what conversion is. And no. in order to improve your conversion, you've got to improve your lead generation and your lead nurturing in order to make the conversions happen quicker and more frequently. Absolutely. This is good stuff. So, um, we're in our last 10 minutes of this really good informational uh, interview. Um, um, Russ has got another ending question for you then. Okay. We'll, throw, we'll throw it to you to, uh, no, I'll, then I'll do a, a sponsor message and then you'll get a chance to give people a, a, a closing thought or a challenge or, or, you know, some wish. Sure. And then Russ will close out this good interview. So thank you, David. Russell, what do you, You're welcome. what's your last question for this inf information whiz here? Well, yes. I mean, having some data to, to look at is very important, but I'm astounded by the number of people who have actually done no tracking or have information scattered across spreadsheets and journals. Uh, it's not in one place. Uh, and so they're, they're small. They don't have people with that expertise. Uh, they don't have the funds for an advisor. So what are some of the steps that these people can do to start to collect this type of information 
that can be analyzed in a way that makes it useful and helps them grow their donors and support. Sure, sure. One of the easiest ways to do is, obviously, is to research the internet. Second to that is to identify somebody or some organization that helps nonprofits understand and grow either through uh, coaching or uh, taking on a uh, uh, trans, excuse me, I'm at a loss for words, Uh, taking on a company, let's say, that focuses on data science and internal marketing. That's obviously what we do. And that's not a sales push or anything, but um, I have several pieces of information that I think would be valuable to nonprofits that helps explain all of that stuff. And I'd be glad to share that with anybody who, um, you know, would like the information and they can pretty much reach me at D Dunworth. My name is David Dunworth. So that's D Dunworth at elaunchers.com. And that's uh, obviously I said my company was marketing partners, but this is my major client that I am working with uh, to help him actually grow his business at this point. And his platform and I uh, are working on a project now specifically geared only for nonprofits that provides soup to nuts, done for you services that are affordable. Uh, A lot of stuff that we do is absolutely no cost. And um, we'll be happy to share whatever information that we can to help them on their way. And um, just getting some coaching, some some chatting, um, that sort of thing will help them remove some of the fear of, oh my, it's such a daunting project. Well, the hardest part about any project is getting started. So if you can find an easy way to get started and it doesn't cost you anything, then, you know, that's pretty, that's a pretty fair deal. So uh, the biggest part of climbing Mount Everest is putting the gear on and taking the first step. And so by taking small steps, they can advance themselves rather easily, rather quickly. And uh, we're working with Cinevision at this particular point to help us modify the programs that we're putting together so that we can uh, pull together an entire, what I'll call a do-it-yourself program, marketing department in a box, if you will, that uh, will provide all of the assets, marketing assets and um, email campaigns and distribution means and direct mail products and that sort of thing. That'll all be at an affordable price too. Love it. Love it. I'm looking forward to that, Dave. This has been very informational today and we will put that email on the, on the video and on the website. People can find the interview at the, T-H-E, the nonprofitexchange.org, which leads you to the page where we got the current episode of the next episode, and then you click on the archive, you get four years worth of great interviews like this. Um, and we've talked about different things. This one has been really dense with information. And so when, when people listen to the, um, the podcast or they go to the page, Within a few days, we'll have the full text of your interview posted up there. 
and so they can capture all of this, including your email. Thank you for that offer. That's generous. Before you give them the, your closing challenge or the closing thought, uh, I want to talk about our sponsor. And, and WordSpread is actually a marketing company. We, we, they print our magazine, they mail our magazine, but they're a print house, they're a mailing house, they're a marketing company. And when you put something in somebody's hand, who's a donor, it said, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is the impact your dollars have had on people's lives. You do that, you do that, you do that. The right message to the right person in a regular frequency, he calls it rhythm. Then, then you can ask for money. And then they don't feel like you're just hitting them up for money. They feel like they're part of your team. And that's top of mind marketing. So WordSprint helps us with the magazine, helps us with mailing. And we fully recommend that you talk to Bill Gelmer and his team at WordSprint. We have found uh, they're very reliable. They're very good at what they do. It's an invaluable resource to stay in touch with your tribe. Word Sprint, like fast, S-P-R-I-N-T dot com. And you can sign up for an interview with Bill Gilmer or one of his team. And he's got decades of research, at least 20 years worth of that research on how putting something in somebody's hand keeps the donors. It's donor retention. It's also donor upgrades. They want to upgrade. It's also new donor acquisition because these donors are going to tell other donors. So it's a multifaceted project. WordSprint.com. It's one of our sponsors and we use them ourselves and we recommend them. David, what do you want to leave people with today? Well, I want to leave them with a couple of things. First of all, I want to leave them with the fact that, yes, you have to make money to set it aside for leaner years. You've got to be active. There's a, more money in the economy today than there has ever been in the history of the world. It's just knowing how to approach people and attract people. And we always give gifts uh, before we ask for anything. And so uh, you, you need to become a welcome guest instead of an annoying pest is what we like to say. And um, so, so think about it. Think about it seriously. You've got um, a precious mission to accomplish and you need all the help and resources you can. Why not take uh, what you can learn and do on your own and do it better. Do it right. That's what I'd like to leave with you. The other thing I'd like to leave with you, Hugh, you mentioned the word tribe. And it's uh, in late 2017, I wrote a book uh, that I think that I shared with your audience the last time I was on. And I'd be happy to send anybody a copy, a paperback copy of my book. It's called Leaders and Their Tribes. And it's a, a, a book for leadership that takes a look at how the Native Americans in the past 600 plus years have utilized uh, leadership strategies that have always worked that we as today's corporations and businesses are just beginning to figure out how to do it. So uh, it's a short read, it's a good read, and uh, I'd be happy to send one of those to anybody who sends an email at ddunworth, at elaunchers.com. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you next month. I'll, uh, I've solidified my uh, project uh, and uh, travel arrangements, so I'll, I'll see you in a few weeks.
just be warned, people that got new things coming. Put your seatbelts on. Great, great stuff coming up. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, David. Uh, it's been a marvelous broadcast, and there are a lot of things that people can pick up to look at. Uh, if you're somebody that goes for donors through mobile search, go to Amazon.com and check out the David Dunbar's author page where he has a book that talks to you about mobile marketing specifically. We are here every Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Nonprofit Exchange, bringing you experts and information that matters so that you can go out there and make that impact that you have the ability and that desire to make. Thank you, Bill Gilmer, for uh, supporting us as always. Uh, the Nonprofit Exchange uh, is here every week. So look for us on iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe. You can also join the CenterVision community by going to centervisionleadership.org. And at the top of the page on the right, it's a big blue button that says join us. We have resources, including this podcast, blog articles. You can get to the magazine. We have webinars. We have one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, uh, we have access to discussions with you and other leaders here in this spot. So until next week, keep making the difference that you're making and come back and see us again next Tuesday. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>